This is Joshua Bell with the Kilt on the Cloth. This sermon was done by Reverend Dr. Lisa Barnett. She's got to be one of my favorite top 10 professors of all time. I hope you enjoy this sermon as I appreciated her doing this for me on my vacation. Thank you very much and enjoy. Now I want to introduce you. Our speaker for today is the Reverend Dr. Lisa Barnett. She is a professor at uh, Phillips Seminary in Tulsa and history, a professor of American religious history. I didn't know that was even a field, but it's an interesting field. We've been talking about it the last hour. She has a PhD in US history from TCU, a master of theology in American religious history from Bright, um, and master of divinity degree from Bright, and is an ordained minister with the Christian church. So she's here to lead us today. It is a pleasure to be here today. Before we begin, though, I have to explain for new folks, this is my first time to come to First Christian Church Ferry and to show off my liturgical sneakers <laughs> that match my stole. I have a pair of sneakers that match all of my stoles, colors for the liturgical calendar year. And so when I go to do pulpit supply at churches, I show up with my my sneakers and people are like what and I'm like they're my liturgical sneakers you use the church word and you can get away with wearing them <laughs> so that's my thing my liturgical sneakers when I show up to preach our scripture today comes from Mark chapter 5 verses 21 through 43 when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came in, and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So he went with him. And a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now, there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had. And she was no better, but rather grew worse. And she had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately her hemorrhage stopped, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say who touched me? And he looked all around to see who had done it, but the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. 
And he allowed no one except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, to follow him. And when they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. And he took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was about 12 years of age. And at this they were overcome with amazement. And he strictly ordered them, no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Here ends our reading. You know, interruptions thwart our plans in both minor and significant ways. A phone call can break your train of thought. A flat tire can cause you to miss a meeting. In general, interruptions are stressful because they take us away from what we want or need to be doing and accomplishing. However, if a phone call is from a dear friend that you haven't spoken to in a while, you are happy to receive it. Flat tires are rarely considered good interruptions, but then again, some meetings are worth missing. In this week's text, Jesus challenges our notions of interruptions and priorities, even interrupting our formulated ideas about healing in the world. Will you pray with me? Oh God, we pray, speak in this place in the calming of our minds and in the longing of our hearts by the words of my lips and in the thoughts that we form. Speak, O Lord, for your servants listen. Amen. Our gospel text this week contains two stories that are for very good reason woven into one. This narrative of healing and restoration of life is full of contrasts and connections that weave the two incidents together. We find Jesus in the midst of his ministry in his home region of Galilee. And in the preceding chapters, he has taught and healed and the crowds following him have become so large that he took to sitting in a boat to teach. He has just returned from a brief trip to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and as soon as his boat has docked, he is once again surrounded by a crowd. And no sooner had Jesus gotten out of the boat and set foot on dry land when his schedule is interrupted. Jairus, an esteemed synagogue official, a wealthy and influential member of the community, a man accustomed to having others beg him for favors, comes to Jesus on behalf of his daughter. His child's illness has lowered him to the ground in front of a traveling folk healer in a last-ditch effort to prevent the worst from happening. And out of desperation, Jairus pleads with Jesus to help his daughter. Jesus, who had other plans, drops everything to go with Jairus. In the midst, though, of all of this comes the silent, suffering woman 
With the same boldness of Jairus, simply hoping for one healing touch. And right there on the road to one work of mercy, Jesus' mission is interrupted again. How often do we have an agenda for our day or even our life that gets interrupted in unexpected ways? Well, sometimes our response to the interruption is more important than our original plans. This interruption is no doubt upsetting to the synagogue leader who is understandably in a rush to get Jesus to his home. But Jesus, the multitasker, as Beverly Zink Sawyer calls him, encounters another person in need. And Sawyer reminds us that perhaps those who are most deserving of our attention may be the least visible ones. For Jesus, the most important thing in that moment is to face the person who has touched him, to encounter her as a human being and not just as an anonymous touch. This hemorrhaging woman has lived with a bleeding uterus for 12 humiliating years. She has been labeled unclean by the rabbis and subjected to the Levitical prohibitions, unable to touch others or to be touched. Ostracized by the synagogue, orphaned by society, she suffers from her very femaleness. And because of her physical condition, the the prevailing religious mores of the day would demand that the woman be left completely alone, cut off, isolated, and outcast. Trudging from doctor to doctor, she has tried to find a place to lay her burden down. And the doctors have filled her mind with hopes and her body with folk remedies, but in the end, the only thing that they relieved her of was her money. And she is now destitute. Greco-Roman medical care was often associated with religious practices in which money was given as an offering to the gods of healing. And these authorities, the physicians though, have left this woman poor and sick. They cannot help her disease because the ordinary social structures cannot help her. They're part of the problem. But she hears stories of another physician, a physician who charges no fee. And she's heard of Jesus' success among those who have been designated incurable. And this woman is determined to be whole. And she's able to acknowledge from the depths of herself and her heart her desperate need to be healed, to be restored to right relationships. And so she summons the courage to violate a patriarchal social taboo thought to be an unclean woman. She touches Jesus in public. She comes up from behind to touch his cloak out of his view. And in the touching, she is literally saved. Now the text says Jesus felt a power go out from him. My initial reading of the passage and this line in particular reminded me of course of the characters in the Star Wars movies who possess the discipline and subtlety of mind to sense not only the force, right, defined as that energy field created by all living things, but also disturbances in the force. Yoda, 
Obi-Wan, even Emperor Palpatine and Darth Vader are all able to sense disturbances in the force at various times. And in the midst of a crowd pressing in around him and a woman touching his clothes, Jesus is able to sense a disturbance in the force. Before this incident, Jesus was unable to see the woman. She was invisible to him, lost in the protective maze of disciples and the crowd. But the significance of the miracle requires a confrontation between Jesus and this woman. And Jesus is pulled back, not by the grasp of her hands, as much as the grasp of her faith. Although the crowd was pressing in on him, her touch was different. And that touch stopped him in his tracks. He doesn't permit the touch to remain an anonymous, passive healing on his part. He lets himself be sidetracked from hurrying to Jairus' home long enough to find the person who has reached out to him with a touch that is more specific, more intentional than any from the rest of the crowd. Jesus feels a disturbance in the force, and he asks, Who touched my clothes? Jesus is not content merely to solve a problem. He wants an encounter with a person. And so this unnamed woman who has suffered for 12 years now makes herself visible to Jesus. From behind, she moves to the front, face to face, heart to heart, and to the woman who has been cut off and isolated and alone, he says, daughter, Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And with those words, Jesus accomplishes the truly explosive healing, the work of restoring her to community, to family. Someone who has been excluded, who has been languishing on the outside for 12 long years, has a family once more. And the healing for this woman was more than just being cured of her disease. It was also about curing her of her dis-ease of being alone because of her exclusion from society. Healing in the Gospels is always much more than physical restoration. Healing restored people to community. It removed their sense of shame and provided instead a sense of belonging. Healing brought hope and opportunity and possibility where it seemed that none might have existed before. In his book, In the Eye of the Storm, Pastor Max Lucado tells the story of Chippy the Parakeet. Now, the problems began when Chippy's owner decided to clean Chippy's cage with a vacuum cleaner. She removed the attachment from the end of the hose and stuck it in the cage, and the phone rang, and she turned around to pick it up, and she had barely said hello when Chippy got sucked in. She put the phone down, she turned off the vacuum, and she opened up the vacuum cleaner, and there was Chippy still alive but stunned. And since the bird was covered with dust, she grabbed him and she raced to the bathroom and she turned on the faucet and held Chippy under the running water. 
And then, realizing that Chippy was soaked and shivering, she did what any compassionate bird owner would do. She reached for the hair dryer and blasted the pet with hot air. Poor Chippy never knew what hit him. A few days after the trauma, the reporter who had initially written about the event contacted Chippy's owner to see how the bird was recovering. Well, she replied, Chippy doesn't sing much anymore. He just sits and stares. You know, unfortunately, there are many people in the world like Chippy, traumatized by the sudden and often tragic circumstances of life, they feel alone and isolated. Mark's gospel, the good news, hints at the relational nature of healing. Jesus chooses not to leave people in the condition in which he finds them, and he has the power to alter that condition. Do we? Can the Christian community alter the condition of people's lives? Can it, too, bring healing in troubled circumstances? Miracles are not always about what we imagine, and neither is healing. In fact, John Pilch takes a broader view reminding us that healing might be experienced as the restoration of meaning to people's lives, no matter what their physical condition might be. Have you ever had the experience of feeling entirely, thoroughly alone? As if no one else on the planet could possibly begin to understand who you were and what you were going through. In those times, Jesus offers us the beloved community, the family of God, and church, as the beloved community, we are called to do the same ministry as Jesus in manifesting God through loving, liberating, life-giving, healing, grace-giving, redeeming, justice-bringing, and inclusive actions and purposes. Salvation is found as we participate in teaching and healing communities that promote the social transformation of the world, the kingdom of God. Jesus wants his followers to bring heaven, not hell, to earth. And I'm always reminded during the summertime, I, I pull out my, one of my favorite shirts to wear because I do like to follow this motto. The motto on the back, live your life so the preacher won't have to lie at your funeral. It's a good motto, right? If you live that way, you're doing your part with Jesus' ministry. Church, there is a disturbance in the force. Can you feel it? People are hurting and suffering. And Jesus healed people because he saw people. He noticed them, and he stopped long enough to listen. And when he saw, when he noticed, when he stopped, he was filled with compassion. Now, we often think that healing is about our ability, but perhaps healing is about our willingness to be available, our willingness to care, to allow God to speak or act through us. And maybe the healing comes most in the seeing, the noticing, in the listening, simply communicating to someone else that God is not absent. So we have to create margins in our lives 
that allow room in our schedule and in our hearts for interruptions. And while our culture values scheduling and daily planners and goals and the efficient use of one's time, the stories of Jesus in Scripture often revolve more about the interruptions in Jesus' day, the people he always encounters along the way to doing something else. You know, too often our day is overscheduled with fragmented activities that in the end don't lead us toward any great purpose. Jesus had one purpose each day, to make God known in the world. And with that goal before him, every encounter, both planned and unplanned, became a sacred opportunity. A holy interruption is an opportunity to take the gospel seriously, whether on an individual basis or even in the collective life of the church. A holy interruption is a chance to sort out the main thing from the many things and to broaden our perspectives. A wise mentor in divinity school once told me to be very careful to cultivate what he called a theology of holy interruptions. Because sometimes God speaks in the unplanned, unexpected, even apparently annoying human interjections in our days. Make sure you don't allow your other important work to close you off from those divinely appointed conversations and activities that might cross your path when you least expect them or want them. A sacred interruption means that we invite God into our encounters along the way. And thus they become holy and transformative and healing. And sometimes that happens for the one that we encounter, but almost always it's transformative for us as well. Amen.